Welcome back to Brailcast, connecting the dots for Brailists everywhere. And coming up this time, the Braille Doodle. What is it and what can it do for you? Wouldn't it be wonderful if you could just pick up a tablet of sorts and draw on it and have the drawing in a tactile form? And wouldn't it be even more wonderful if, if you didn't like the drawing, you could simply erase it and start over? A bit like the old Etch-a-Sketch products. Well, Daniel Lubiner is President and Executive Director of the Touchpad Pro Foundation, an organisation which has created a product called the Braille Doodle, which claims to be able to do just that. And he joined me just before the summer with his Chief Experience Officer, Matthew Bullis, to tell me more about it. So, Daniel, I guess we should start with you because you have an interesting story to tell. It's a fascinating story. I've been a teacher for 25 years uh, and I I was teaching special education. I I taught all types of subjects, uh, you know, reading, math, and I also had the pleasure of all different ages, like all the way from kindergarten all the way up to high school. And one of the things I really loved was teaching non-readers to read, you know, because we really got into how do we reach out to a kid and make them feel successful right away, make them feel uh, like they can do it. Um, It's multi-sensory teaching. Like, so we could help kids who are, have all different types of learning styles, whether you're teaching kinesthetically or, or, you know, through auditory and visual means. Anyway, I really like teaching reading. Um, and then after about 15 years of uh, teaching uh, different subjects, I started working at this school called the New York Institute for Special Education in the Bronx. And they are actually, they've been a school for the blind for 190 years, the back before the Civil War. So I felt like honored to work there, actually. And I was working with a mostly disturbed population uh, at one of the schools, but then the art teacher for the blind uh, got promoted and they said, okay, you're going to teach all the children. You teach all the children for the blind. And I've always loved teaching the arts. You know, I I was originally an artist and, you know, I love all subjects, but the arts, especially in drama and stuff like that. But when they told me I was going to teach a hundred blind kids from kindergarten to 21 years old, and you're going to teach them art. I was like, what, what I really, (laughs) and I was, uh, I was nervous. I was like, oh my God, I can't, you know, what am I going to do? I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm going to do the wrong thing. I'm, I'm going to upset these kids. Uh, and how am I going to do art that's going to be, you know, for everybody? But very quickly, they made me feel really, really comfortable, right? So they made me feel like they're not blind kids. They're just kids. There's kids who are blind and they're just teenagers, you know? And I just, I felt really, really uh, comfortable and 
I started really enjoying it, really loving, you know, putting together the clay and putting together wire sculptures or, you know, making a Mona Lisa with a mask in the middle of the canvas. So it pops out of the canvas. I mean, all kinds of different things. And that must have been a really interesting experience for you, because the thing that we perhaps haven't drawn out is that when you were teaching reading, you were teaching presumably fully sighted children how to read and now you're having to explore the senses in a very different way because you've been put in front of a bunch of students who can't use their eyes anymore you know that the visual medium is not really accessible to them and so all of a sudden you're having to explore touch and smell and taste and hearing you know in a way that you wouldn't have had to explore up until that point exactly it's very a very different experience and you know, working with the little kids, we also did some things with Braille, uh, you know, making clay animals that also had the Braille initial to go with it. Um, but just uh, to wrap up the story, I'm going to try to do it really quickly. I was teaching and really liking it for a number of years, and I really get to care about my kids. I really love the students, you know. And then the pandemic hit and everybody went home. And it was really devastating. Uh, it was, you know, I got very upset day to day, just trying to do something that it actually just became entertaining the kids, you know. But I was getting them to do poems and getting them to do song interpretations and stuff like that. I play a little guitar, so we would sing, but it was just frustrating. And then I was thinking about, like, how are they doing anything else? How are they doing Braille, especially? Like, how can you learn Braille over the Internet? So there was, like, no way that they could have anything in front of them. So that's when I started thinking of, like, what what could what could be invented? What could what could possibly be in front of them? But it would have to be inexpensive because even the schools they didn't want to pay for like art supplies to go out to all the kids. You know, it was just too much for them. Um, but what if they had something? And then there was this toy like from Amazon, and the toy had a magnetic stylus and it pulls up these balls. And I really like the toy, but it falls down when you touch it, right? So it's really for sighted kids. So I was like, what if we could get, make this toy, but make it into a tool for teaching Braille, a tool for drawing, for doing art? What if we could get those balls to stay up just right so that you can feel it until you want to press it down and erase it. So that's how the Braille Doodle came to be. And it took a year and a half, almost two years now, to raise enough money to make a prototype, because nobody really wants to talk to you without a prototype. So, but in that two and a half years, uh, I mean, one and a half, two years, I was able to like keep fixing, keep uh, talking to people, talk to TVIs, talk to, you know, kids who are blind and how they learn and everything. So um, it really comes from like 
my students, my team members, you know, I always say my students are like my co-designers, you know, because they really help me like put this thing together correctly. So that's a really interesting story. And it, it does take an awful long time to come up with prototypes. I mean, <laughs> to come up with prototypes that learn to come up with the money uh, for prototypes. We've seen this time and time again. So, I mean, congratulations for getting to that point. And I guess at some point, while you were having conversations with people, you know, um, you ended up having a conversation with Matthew, uh, Matthew Bullis, the other uh, person who's in this interview. So I guess this is a good time to bring Matthew in. Um, and just to say, so so you, I think, are also a teacher and you, you are blind and have been blind for a long time and got drawn into this project. So what's your background and what's your story and how did you get involved? I'm a teacher of blind and visually impaired adults here in Phoenix, Arizona. And Daniel is right. Teaching Braille during the pandemic was very difficult because you as a teacher or me as a teacher would have to have this the Braille book and the student would have to have the Braille book and we'd be reading it over the phone. No, okay, no, you're on page 14. No, turn to page 15. Okay, find the number sign and then A and then E. Okay, that's 15. Okay, second line down. So without having hand over hand, it's very difficult to teach a subject like Braille. So I contacted Daniel because I'm very interested in the product because of the physical ability of the product to provide drawings and graphs, and then also the Braille learning side for adults and for children. So I contacted Daniel and we had many hours of conversations about the project and his ideas and me being a teacher as well, I was connected, I'm connected with the technology community. So I've been a lifelong Braille reader, probably since about three years old. I read something in Braille every day. I wouldn't be without it. So why don't we talk about the product? So you built a prototype and I guess that prototype is what is the basis of the current round of funding and we'll talk about the current round of funding in just a moment but why don't we talk about what it actually looks like what is it that somebody is funding in terms of its dimensions in terms of the shape of the the balls that the stylus is pulling up you know all of that sort of thing why don't you just talk me through a physical description of it so it's about the size of a large laptop okay so about 13 inches by 10 inches, uh, but it's thick. It's a, almost an inch thick, you know, because it's two-sided. It's a two-sided tablet that has hundreds and hundreds of holes in it. And within each hole is a metal ball that could be pulled to the surface with a magnetic stylus. So the little metal ball gets pulled to the surface and held up there with a spring. So we have hundreds and hundreds of springs um, just underneath every single ball to hold it up just right. And that was the tricky, tricky part. That was the $64,000 question. It's how do we get that just right? But on one side is the Braille instructions side, okay? And as a reading teacher, like, I, I did this thinking, like, as a reading teacher, how, how I taught reading. Like, so teaching reading, you, you have to be 
like very success oriented. Everybody wants to feel successful. Everybody wants to feel like they can do it right off the bat. Um, and also, you know, there's got to be repetition and, you know, it gets redundant sometimes. So it's got to be kind of fun, you know? So I want to make it kind of like that. So on the Braille doodle, on the top half of the Braille side are all the letters and some sight words and the number symbol, uh, you know, the number indicator, cap indicator, and some of the small sight words. But there's two Braille cells, there are two like jumbo Braille cells that are next to each other. And with the capital A underneath it in print, so, you know, a sighted person could play along. And <laughs> so in the first Braille cell, there are six dots, you know, the one, two, three, four, five, six. But in the first one, the only one I could bring up is the A. So immediately that's correct. Okay, wow, that's that's the A. And then next to it, you could copy that. Next to it, you could make a mistake though. You could bring up one and six. Oh, I, I didn't, that doesn't match. So I could push the six back down. And how easy it, is it to erase things when you were learning Braille? Um, that's one thing <laughs> Poke I, a I, hole in the paper. <laughs> poke a hole in the paper. <laughs> right. You can poke a hole in the paper. Or you can try pressure down. You know that that's something that you know I wanted to be able to do. Make a make mistakes. You know because we learn by our mistakes, and you don't have to you know keep making the same mistakes. And. Hmm. We we also do letters and we do phonics, of course, but then we go right to words, you know, full words. So you don't teach one letter at a time, two letters at a time. You, you do that for a little while, but then you jump up and go right to words. So you teach ka, at, cat, you know, and then you teach fa, at, fat, and fat, cat, mat, sat, rat, you know, and then you put that together. You don't just stop at words. You go to a sentence. You know, the fat cat sat on a rat and they hmm. were standing on a mat or, or something like that. <laughs> so, so, I'm, but, so I wonder if we could just sort of stop a second because I'm still actually str struggling to actually visualize what we've actually got in front of us. So we've got this. Let's not talk about the, the, the two sides just for a second. Let's just concentrate on the Braille side. So we've got the Braille side pointing upwards. We've got this right. rectangular tablet, which I'm guessing is landscape on the table. That's exactly. how it's designed to be used. Yeah. And across the top, I've got a Braille alphabet. And mm -hmm. then I've got two Braille cells. So is, is, the, first Braille dis, is the first Braille cell fixed or is there a way using technology that I can adjust that Braille cell? Because at the moment, it sounds like all I can do in the second Braille cell is copy the letter A that's in the first one. But what if I want the letter X to be in the first one? No, it's 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 fixed. So it's meant to teach you in order of the alphabet. and But underneath the Braille cells are two lines 
of 20 cells. So underneath all that, that's where you could write, you get creative, you could put, you know, you could repeat, you know, write the letter B 20 times. Okay. Ah, okay. So the jumbo that, cell just has the letter A in it. That's just kind of an example. This is the right. first letter. Now, these so are I... all jumbo cells, Matthew. So they're all jumbo cells. You know, it's really, really like that where you are between pre-reading uh, Braille, um, pre-Braille and reading Braille. There will be examples of real Braille because, you know, next to every letter is the letter A in Braille. So you have the letter A in print, letter A in Braille, letter B in print, letter B in actual size Braille, so it's standard Braille. And there'll also be examples of Braille on the Braille doodle. So you're gonna be able to feel like what it's like, but it's, it's really for starting out and it's mm. going to be good. You know, we've been aiming this towards children, sort of saying this is a foundation for children. But really, in the end, you know, adults are going to benefit from this, too, because they don't have the, um, they often don't have the same sensory that a small child does. I mean, Matthew could probably speak to this better. Adults deal with issues like neuropathy, or they're just not used to a new way of learning. And, uh, but it's also just a different way of learning, as you said, from children to adults. Yeah. And one of the things that we, so, so the Brailleists, we actually run a Braille for Beginners course, and we have, you know, done remote Braille tuition and have experienced some of the things that you talked about earlier on about, you know, how do we make sure that people are on the same page? And we just kind of have to trust that people are actually. And if they're not, then they'll put their hand up and they'll say, actually, what we're seeing doesn't match what you're telling us. Um, so there's a lot of trust involved. And, you know, marking reading, you know, teaching reading is one thing, but teaching writing, I mean, that introduces a, a whole other dimension that we're not even talking about. But one of the things that we found really important at the Brailleists, and I mean, we've known it for a long time anyway, is this concept of tracking, is this concept of before you even start to, you know, read a Braille letter, you need to be able to actually move your fingers across a line and keep your fingers in a straight line and feel in broad strokes, what is it that you're feeling? Am I feeling a thick line? Am I feeling a thin line? Am I feeling a dashed line or a dotted line? You know, what what am I feeling? And I guess um, the Braille doodle, maybe that's where the reverse side comes in. Maybe that's where the drawing side comes in. It, or, or is this not an area that you've really sort of tackled at this stage? Or would you expect people to have done their pre-Braille before you get to the Braille doodle? No, the Braille doodle is for pre-Braille. You know, it's, it's more for getting started and, you know, learning about those shapes. I mean, um, they, they are jumbo braille cells, but you should be able to, with one finger, move it across and start to read. Um, and also underneath the, the jumbo braille cells, I'm going to have the example of the alphabet. Uh, so you could read that across. And I'm also going to have, uh, you know, a full sentence with all the letters in it, like the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog, that that old thing where you could find like the letters and stuff like that, because that's really important. Um, 
to have that you know understanding of what you're saying where you, you you know that this is the eventual thing this is what you want to do you want to get to the ability to you know uh just move your hand across and feel what you're feeling so i have this tablet and it has the the print alphabet at the top and it has the the two one fixed jumbo cell and then another non-fixed jumbo cell and then the jumbo cells underneath and that's so the so the two rows of jumbo cells are at the very bottom of the tablet as i understand that description so if i wanted to make some braille like let's say i want to write the letter m because i want to write matthew right eventually so i want to write the letter m i guess it's just as simple as getting the stylus and inserting it into the hole where dot one should be and pulling upwards and that will make a dot one and then i do the same for dot four and the same for dot three it's actually even more simple than that because you just move the stylus over the hole and the magnet pulls up the ball. Right. But if I did that, then I'd get a letter P. So how do I avoid getting a letter P? How do I make sure that that middle dot doesn't come up? It holds back. You could really easily just pick up one at a time. Um, the springs kind of worked out like that. It was like a happy accident. <laughs> they sort of hold the ball back so you can only pick up like one ball at a time yeah so that so the motion that my hand is making if it's if i'm drawing a dot one followed by a dot three is i'm starting at the top and i'm pulling upwards slightly and then moving downwards to where the dot three is and then sorry and then and then going down and then back up again or i'm, I'm just trying to get my head around obviously if if i stay fixed to the surface all the time then it's going to pull up every dot that it finds surely so how do i tell it yeah what i think you get what i'm trying to do so you have to just pull it up a little bit off of the surface so you hit dot one it's almost like you're you're tapping you know like you tap one then skip and always using two hands right so you're using one hand to feel what you're doing and the other has the stylus. So you would tap the one and then skip two and tap the three. So it'll pull up the dots as you tap downwards, basically, that you're saying. Yeah, so it's actually, it's not dissimilar to what I was saying before, but they're not dots inside holes. They're dots that are flush with the surface of the tablet. And then, and then when you pull up on them, they become raised from the surface of the tablet. Right. They're, and they're also not only not flush, but they're sunk down in there on purpose. Like we wanted to have it to be so people on the spectrum, okay, of blindness can also use any vision that they still have to, you know, use all the senses that they could possibly because that was one of the things about the Braille Doodle 2 that came to mind is like most of the students I work with have are on a spectrum, you know. So we have students who are completely blind, but what about all these kids on a spectrum who want tactile things to work with, who want to use the vision that they have, who get their noses dirty by putting it into the paint and smelling the paint so they could touch it and move it around, you know? Um, 
But so I wanted something to be both uh, high contrast and tactile. So by making the tablet dark and the balls are silver, you get that high contrast. So it's going to be a dark, dark blue. Okay. And presumably it's designed to be used in conjunction with a curriculum of some sort. I mean, is there a curriculum that goes along with it or have you designed it to be used with one of the popular curriculums over in the US or can you use any curriculum you like with it? I think you could use any, uh, any curriculum, any way, you know, because teachers are used to teaching the way they teach, right? So you, you could just substitute this for the usual tools that you might have used. Okay, so what, what type of tools do you do when you're first teaching Braille's? Uh, what type of uh, tools do you use when you first teach Braille? You might use egg cartons, or you might use these things with pegs. Um, you might use these little pegs that go into a board. Um, there's the dot candies, uh, which are candies on paper. Uh, there's uh, ping pong balls in muffin tins, all sorts of representations. Sure, that makes sense. And um. I'm starting to really get a sense of how this might be used now. And I guess, Matthew, this is where your excitement came from. You're thinking, yes, we don't have to buy all of these things anymore because we can just use the Braille Doodle. Have you actually tried it? I mean, presumably you have a prototype. So have you been able to use that with some of your students and how have they found it? Well, at conventions, I've been able to do with kids and I took a wonderful uh, work work with kids and I took a wonderful trip to uh, India uh, when I first got the prototype. And I was able to work with blind children and some deaf blind children. And they just took to it. They loved it. And kids were immediately learning. And that's the thing, Matthew, is what I wanted was something that you could take out of the box and the kid could start learning immediately. They could sit down and just start experimenting, just start like lifting up the dots, putting them back, feeling the six dots, how you could pick up one dot or two dots or three dots. And then mom could sit down next to you and mom could say, okay, I see what A is. So now we could learn together and I could teach you, I could get you started on the road to literacy. Because we always hear about this thing about 10%, right? This horrible number of 10%. And in other countries like India, it's 1%. You know? So what kind of chance do these kids have? You know, A lot of times, if they don't have, like in India, they're not going to have a lot of technology and stuff like that. So if we could get these kids on the road to literacy, it could be a game changer. So this isn't about the end of like getting them to be braille literate and, and be able to write braille. This is about getting them started and getting them into it and making it a successful, fun, motivational experience. So we've talked a lot about the braille side of the braille doodle, but there is also the 
other side, which I guess is the drawing side of the Braille Doodle, uh, for lack of a better word. <laughs> I guess there's an official term for it. But Matthew, uh, why don't you talk us through the other side and, and what's it called and what's it used for? It's called the Doodle side. So the Doodle side is this is the side that I'm most excited about because as a lifelong Braille reader, it's a set of hundreds of pins that is a free drawing. So it's not locked into the description that we just had, where you can simply move the stylus around and draw circles or squares or uh, uh, graphs, whatever you need to draw. And then you can also put covers on that will lock it into the Braille cells so that you could essentially, I believe you call them hand frames in the UK, slate and styluses. You can have you can write forwards instead of having to turn the paper over and, and write backwards. So that's the, what I was most excited about. And of course, the Braille side for uh, children and adult learners. But for me personally, I'm excited about the doodle side. Yes. So you could use this to draw actually quite complicated things like uh, line graphs and bar charts and things like that if you wanted to. And and just free drawing, you know, drawing pictures. So it, Unlike the Braille side, so this is the entire side of the thing. It's literally just a mesh full of holes through which pins can pop up and down. I guess. Right. You'll you'll turn them. You'll turn the unit over, and you'll have a, a free space to to doodle. And so, uh, I remember in college math, I had a big cork and rubber graph board that I had to carry around. It didn't fold, and even then. We still had to use string and thumbtacks to create our own XY axis and then more thumbtacks to plot the points. So this is something that the Braille Doodle could have solved years ago because you make your graph and if it's a paper graph that's been embossed for a student and you want to make a change to the graph, you have to basically throw the page away and make the graph again and re-emboss it. You don't have to do that with the Braille Doodle. You can simply make the change that you need. And going back to the question that I had about the Braille side, uh, the, the same question about the drawing side, actually. The, the motion of drawing, presumably the magnets are slightly more sensitive on that time, on that side. So can I just literally like hold the stylus like I would hold a pen and start drawing? Yeah, that's exactly how you do it. You can start drawing in fact I, I did something with the stylus because i noticed you know a lot of blind kids were not used to holding a pen or you know something like this so it has a little place where you could pinch it you know so you get that feeling of how to hold the stylus so you're using two hands again so one is feeling and one is uh, drawing so you could feel at the same time which I thought you know I think that's something really really important too you know is that you at the same time you're you could follow along with what you're doing you know and as Matthew was saying he did a great job explaining it you know about like being able to divide this up and make it into lots of different uses because it became like a snowball effect because the more we talked about it the more i looked into it it was like oh you could do this with it oh you could do what that with it oh they have these math cubes that they used to use where you move the cubes around and it makes certain numbers 
so you could put the cubes into this whole big uh, grid and do addition, subtraction, division. Well, with the Braille Doodle, you could slip a, a cover onto it, and then it's all cubes, squares that could be manipulated. And you could do addition, subtraction. You know, it's not the actual size Braille. You know, you should still transition, of course, that. And all tools are going to be important in the end. But, you know, another thing about the Braille Doodle is it's completely independent. You don't need someone there to stand over you. Because when you're in the classroom, you have six kids, okay? Or if you're a mom and you have lots to do, you can't stand there and sit with the kid, you know, hour after hour, just saying, okay, oh, here's the pieces. Oh, you dropped this. Oh, you, you know, you, you lost the stylus. No, the stylus is attached to the Braille Doodle and all the balls are inside. So you can't lose anything. So there's a few things to explore that are sort of coming out of this. You say that the stylus is attached to the Braille Doodle. Presumably you mean attached with some sort of piece of string or something so, so it can move. Yeah, it's like a, a long uh, springy uh, wire type thing, but it's soft. You know, not not something that would hurt a kid. No, absolutely, and and presumably there's a way of fixing the stylus to the braille doodle when it's not in use, and so that the wire doesn't get in the way. Yep, we have a little slot down the side, and the wire goes and sits up against the uh, braille doodle, and the stylus goes away in a little stylus holder. You know, so it's a great thing to throw in your backpack, take it in the car, you know. But the other exciting thing, too, like uh, Matthew was saying, he was explaining real well, like there's nothing out there for graphs to manipulate graphs that I've seen and, uh, that you can like just make a simple bar graph and say, okay, there are four horses, five cows, uh, 10 donkeys. Now, the horses just had four babies. So what happens to the graph? And now the child can do it themselves. They could count up and do it across. And if you want to get even more complicated, then you just put on the XY axis. So you put an X axis, a Y axis, then you could plot the points. And then you could, you know, do that complicated stuff that I was hated <laughs> about, like graphing equations and having those curves and how the curves can change if you add on a negative two to the equation of x minus y plus two or something. I don't know. So let's talk about that because this this leads on to the next question I was going to ask. Actually, you talked about on the braille side, the cells are jumbo cells, and this implies that the balls are actually quite large. They're probably larger than braille dots. Are they the same balls that are used on the drawing side, on the on the doodle side? And is the spacing still jumbo cell spacing, or is the spacing any narrower? Okay, one thing I didn't say on the braille side is. The, there's even on the top half, 
the balls are a little bigger. They're actually five, uh, five millimeter balls, but only a tiny bit comes out. On the lower side, we try to get a little smaller. So you're already transitioning to something smaller. And yes, you're exactly right. We keep the same distance on the other side because we try to get it as close together as possible. In fact, I think the Braille Doodle 2 no, or whatever, we're going to try to get the, the balls even closer together because you get, you know, better graphics that way. But uh, these, this is pretty good. You know, it's about six millimeters from center ball to center ball. But when you have a nice large space and you have, you know, over 1300 balls, that makes so I could draw a tree in a house. I could draw a tree in a house. I could explain that to you. I could explain to you perspective of how the house is forward on a different plane than the tree. And the tree is further back, but you know it appears smaller, but it could be bigger. You know, all these different things that would be very hard to explain. You know, but you could just draw it quickly. Um, and what you were saying about the team, it was very important to me to have a good team on board. And if you look on our homepage of you know touchpadprofoundation.org. If you look there, you'll see, you know, team members where I have someone who went blind at 50. I have someone who's born blind, you know, who's a big braille advocate. And I have, you know, a, a, a blind man who is also an O&M instructor who got very excited about this because he'll be able to do like different O&M lessons. Like, okay, you go down here, you make a left and the bathroom is right over here and you can just draw that out. So it's pretty cool stuff. So just to sort of firm that up, the mechanics of this are there's one set of balls in between two meshes. So if I've got something on the Braille side and I start drawing in the same place on the doodle side, the Braille side will be cancelled out because the ball will be pulled through to the doodle side. No, they're, they're totally separate things. So in between the two sides is uh, like a foam plate. Uh, so they're like two separate units. Okay. So this is this is now very exciting. Yes, I understand what's going on. So the, actually the balls on the doodle side are perhaps slightly smaller than the balls on the braille side. They're perhaps more in line with the balls on the bottom side of the braille side than the top half of the braille side. Exactly. They're more in line than the bottom bottom side. You know, we, we tried to get them as tight as possible. And... The, you know, with the springs in there, it, it gets kind of crowded. So, so I mean, and six millimeters isn't bad, you know, six millimeters. What, what, what are we talking about? If, we've, if you think of double line space Braille and single line space Braille, six millimeters is probably what? The distance just over single line space Braille. So you're going to end up with dotted lines, but the dots are still going to be quite close together they're not going to be so far apart that you can't tell that it's a line it, it, it should still be finger sized you shouldn't have to move up and down to read a letter q for instance 
Sure, but I was more thinking about the doodle side. Um, normally, if if you're thinking on the, if you think, for example, about drawing pictures with a Perkins Brailler, for example, you you make lines of C's and you make lines of L's. Whereas I feel like on the doodle side, this is going to feel like more like lines of A's and like lines of like K's, maybe. Maybe yeah. So they're still lines. That's that's the important thing. That they're, they're, they're lines rather than dots. But the dots are are not particularly dense. But that doesn't really matter because you can still tell that you're trying to draw a line. Right. And you could still get a sense of like, if I say, what does a snake look like? Okay, let me show you a snake. So the snake goes back and forth, back and forth. So you could still get a sense of that curve, you know, even though it's it's not going to be perfect, but it's it's good enough to be able to uh, find the sense of like, here's the head of the snake. It's a little larger and then it gets a little smaller towards the end. And that's the tail of the snake, you know? And, you know, I also have another cover for the dog and the kids were loving that, you know, I could draw a dog. They, cause you put it on there and it's like a stencil. So they could just bring up all the dots for the dog. And, you know, where are the legs of the dog? Where's the tail of the dog? And it, it's, it becomes such a, a wonderful little tool and so pleasurable to, to the kids because, you know, this is something that they'd never experienced before. You know, they hear about it. They hear about everybody drawing and using crayons and stuff like that. Um, and even just like having that experience of like, okay, I have pet dogs. I, I, I know what a dog's head feels like, but what about the rest of the body? How's the whole body, you know, how the legs, how the tail, you know, all together. Well, and perhaps more importantly, you can start to teach concepts like profile and aerial view and things like that because you're trying to draw a 3d object in 2d and if you can teach that early enough then the concept would hopefully stick very true very true and there's a big emphasis now of going into tactile graphics which i'm very excited about you know because you know the 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 fact that we could do some tactile graphics on the canoe, for example, you know, you could get a sense of graphs electronically, or they're doing new things with dot pads and and uh, APH getting together with Humanware, uh, doing the Monarch. And so all these things are going to make uh, tactile graphing, tactile pictures, graphics more accessible and one question we have actually had which i've answered several times on online is that this is a completely mechanical unit sure so it doesn't take batteries uh it, it doesn't have electronic components that can fail i'd quite like to talk about these covers because these sound really exciting um so it sounds like they are uh, as you say, overlays, I guess, that you can put over the top and they 
are, as you say, stencils. So you could have a stencil of a dog, but you could have a stencil of an X and a Y axis, or you could have the stencil of a slate and stylus or a hand frame. Um, what do they look like? I mean, are they are they floppy? Are they rigid? Um, and how do they attach? We're going to have it so there's uh, little ridges along the sides and on the bottom, so they'll slide into place. So it'd be like a flat piece of plastic. Um, you'll be able to bend them and stuff, but it, it's really easy to do laser cutting now from a computer. So the guy that I was working with took like my drawing of a dog, put it into the computer, lined it up with all the dots and everything and laser cut it in like an hour. Um, and that's, that's also a very exciting prospect because now teachers create covers that, that will you know, be useful for anything that they're teaching, anything that they want to do. Oh, I want to you know, show the islands of the UK and point out you know, where, um, where everything is on the UK. So how can I do that? Okay, so I could, because again, you know, you could give a kid a piece of paper and say, here, feel this, you know, this is tactile, so you could feel the map of the UK and everything. But if a kid is doing it, if they're doing it themselves, they're going to learn it and internalize it a whole other way, right? They're going to they're going to be able to, you know, really internalize lots and lots of studies, you know, about like how when you're feeling something and doing something and that you're going to learn it a lot better than if you're just handed something. So this is something that is probably a lot thicker than what I was imagining, because I was imagining something about the thickness and consistency of a thermoform sheet. I guess we're talking something a bit thicker than that, maybe the same thickness of maybe a front or back cover or something like that, maybe. Yeah, the thickness will be sort of like a little floppy piece of plastic. So not, not you know, sort of like the folders, uh, right? So the folders that you put, you know, put papers in and stuff like that. So, so a, re a really thick piece of braille paper then. Right. Uh, so like a thick piece of braille paper made out of plastic that you could use over and over again. About 80 or 100 pound cardstock. And the mechanism of sliding it in presumably has been developed in such a way that it won't interfere with the balls underneath. So I could, for example, put an XY stencil in or an xy cover in and i could do my xy drawing and i could take it out and it wouldn't have any risk of pressing down so hard that it you know that it deletes what i've just drawn exactly that's a that's the beauty of it you know like when we when the kids made the dogs like i had four kids around in india and i think it's on one of the videos uh, that i did had four kids around a table and they were all helping fill in the dog and then i took the cover off and they were feeling the dog 
oh my god they were so happy you know <laughs> they're like oh wow you know we made this um so yeah i'm really excited about it and um you know also, Matthew, we're, we're a foundation, so we're a 501c3, you know, so what we want to do is be able to get donations or get people to buy these for other kids or, you know, be able to give them out. Like, I can't wait to be able to hand these out to the students that I had to, that went home and, you know, didn't have anything to them and they couldn't go on Amazon because they can't afford anything. So I should just clarify for people in the UK that a 501c3 is rather similar to something like a registered charity or um, a social enterprise company um, in the UK, uh, just to give people a sense of what that means. And I'd like to talk about how people can get the product. I, I just, there was one more question that I had about these covers and that is that um, presumably I mean, I think you've already alluded to it, but there's the possibility that you might release a specification sheet so that you are not at Touchpad Pro Foundation the only people who can make these covers. Presumably, you want teachers to be able to make their own covers and possibly even to share the the templates of those covers with others so you can build up kind of an archive of templates and covers that can be made. You know, I, I think that's a great idea, you know. Uh, is to have that archive that people can, what do they call it, open source. I think on, in the 3D printing world, it's the thing of, Thingiverse, I think they call it. So if there's a way to upload that and say, here's my, here's my graph or here's my drawing of a complicated thing that, that people need, then it can be archived somewhere. And then it can be printed out if the person has the right 3D printer or something. Yeah, or they could, you know, zap it out with uh, laser cutters because uh, they're getting much cheaper into different neighborhoods. You know, I think what we're also going to do uh, is put together like packages of maybe like, okay, these are all math lessons. These are all uh, Braille lessons. Oh, and here's another thing, Matthew, I didn't get into you could teach Braille in any language, right? Using covers. So if I put on a cover with Braille in Chinese, you could learn Braille in Chinese because it will have the example of the Chinese, have the example of the Chinese Braille, have places to practice the Chinese Braille. So in essence, you could have the English on one side and Chinese on the other or Hindi, or Arabic, uh, and, and that's really exciting too. Because it's just a grid, you know, it, it's, the, there's no, there's nothing saying what you need to do with that grid, it's just a grid that you can do whatever you need to do with. And then of course, the, this is, this is beyond the, the first iteration, but ideas for the future would be, you know, maybe, as maybe you, you don't want the, the Braille side, you want double-sided drawing you maybe want a drawing on one the drawing the doodle side on one side and the doodle side on the other so that you can have a the example graph from the teacher on one side and the the homework graph for the student on the others items like that but that's that's in the future so let's let's bring it back to earth let's talk about actually this let, let's talk about buying it right because i think it's important to say that 
at the moment, this is not a product in the sense that you can't just go to a shop and and buy it, but it's a product that you are confident that you are able to manufacture. So let's just let's just talk about this. How do people buy it, and what are we talking about here in terms of commitment? I mean, we're we're talking about you know crowdfunding startup costs, right? So you can you can buy it, but you're not going to get it next week, presumably. Right, it's not coming to your door uh, in a week and a half. We, we estimate by by Christmas time. So you're pre-ordering with the Kickstarter, which we're in the midst of, which uh, ends at uh, June 18th. So Kickstarter right now going on, $75 for one unit, one Braille Doodle. And then if you choose to buy more Braille Doodles, there are other options for that. And you can also add on if it's not the correct number for you if you want to add more. And then when the campaign ends, you will be charged the money that you've pledged. And also at that point, you'll submit your address. You know, uh, you'll submit your address and you'll say, okay, I, I've bought five of them and I want two for myself, but I want you to send these other three somewhere else. I'm going to donate these three. And Daniel can talk about the, the tax options for that, which, which may be different in the UK, I don't know. But you make those decisions at the end of the campaign where they're being sent. Sure. Okay. So there is some protection here, isn't there? You're not charged until the end of the campaign. So presumably you have a number of Braille doodles that you know that you have to have sold in order to make this viable. And and we're all very confident that you will reach that number. But if for some reason you don't reach that number, it's not like people are going to be buying a product that can't be afford to be manufactured. No, and actually we've already reached the number. It's been very exciting. You know, we've we've just crossed the thirty thousand dollar mark. So, so this is vi- I mean, this is very exciting. But it also means that this is a viable product. So, and I think that's really important because it, it's something that certainly you know I've heard people uh, it, with other crowdfunding projects being very nervous. Okay, I really want this, but you know, what's to prevent this company from just taking the money and running right and i really didn't want to do that yeah one thing i want to really make sure is we were ready we were you know i did not want to have like say that we were going to take pre-orders and then oh sorry we don't have it this year perhaps next year we could get it you know we want to take pre-orders when we're ready to go to manufacture and we have manufacturers you know, we, we, we're going to have the money to be able to put it together. You know, it's going to take time because everything takes a little longer than you think it's going to be. I can't believe it took so long to get here. <laughs> you know, I thought we were, oh, we'll do this in like six months. You know, that was a year and a half ago. Um, but it takes time, but we'll get to that manufacturing and we're, you know, we'll have these. Up. But, you know, why should you buy it now? at the Kickstarter, because you're probably, you know, also saving about 50%. So it'd be $75. And from what I hear from retailers, which we've already talked to, you know, a whole bunch of people, uh, even in Australia, you know, they've ordered like uh, 50 of them to just start off with, which, you know, retailers can do now because you could, they're, planning on doubling the price. 
which they need to do because of all their overhead and everything. So you're looking at something that's going to be probably around 150 US dollars. That's now 75 US dollars. Sure, because you're buying it directly from the Touchpad Pro Foundation rather than buying it through an intermediary. And you won't be able to do that again after the Kickstarter, because after the Kickstarter, we're just going to ship them out, you know, uh, to people, whole, retailers. Yeah, you, you'll ship them wholesale. You'll have wholesale agreements with, say, uh, UK assistive technology companies and Australian assistive technology companies and and companies like that. Yep, we're already connected with Sight and Sound over there in the UK. As well as Vision Australia as well. So if people want to uh, join the crowdfunder, if people want to pledge to buy a unit or two units or five units or however, um, how do they go about doing that? They can go to tinyurl.com slash Kickstarter. That will direct you to the Kickstarter page. And if you haven't logged in, then you should log in. Now, there are some accessibility issues which can be gotten around if you know what they are. If you're a JAWS user, it says that they're headings when they're headings and links. So you can press enter, even though it doesn't say link on whatever pledge you want. The Kickstarter app is very accessible on the iPhone with voiceover. And so that's a nice experience. And throughout the process, I think it's three or four pages. It tells you what you're pledging. Uh, if you're on your iPhone, you can do uh, Apple Pay and various other payment methods. And on the computer, you can use your credit card. But just go slowly through the website and use make good use of your heading navigation with your screen reader so that you can move down through the different sections of the web page, which are very well marked up. And before before June 18th, you'll be able to pledge the Kickstarter. And we are keeping up with the comments and giving updates as we can. Fantastic. And if people want to get hold of you, if they've got questions about the project or about the Kickstarter or about what the Touchpad Pro Foundation is doing, how can they reach you? How can they find out more information about you? That's fairly straightforward. I'm Matthew at touchpadprofoundation.org. So I'm not sure why people always ask whether it's two T's, but it always is. I've never seen it with just one T, unless it's the French spelling. But I'm Matthew at touchpadprofoundation.org. And then Daniel is Daniel at touchpadprofoundation.org. And that's the other thing where you could, you know, steer people to, you know, because it's, it's extremely, I, I've tried to make touchpadprofoundation.org and uh, you know a fairly extensively accessible landing page where you get you know very uh, extensive explanations and of what alt text and uh, so yeah I mean uh, it's a it's a good way to get there, touchpadprofoundation.org. One important thing that I, I just thought of is how this allows for sighted kids or sighted adults, sighted people and blind people to work together and draw together and experience this 
thing together and even learn Braille together. I had a comment from a Kickstarter backer who said that she would like to use this with her grandchildren where one could practice Braille on one side and they could flip it over and do a drawing on the other side and they, everybody could share as a family. And I've had other comments where I, I can't wait to my sighted daughters are playing with my blind son or from an adult uh, a blind person said, you know, I can't wait to draw with my young daughter again. Um, I mean, it's just really some touching stuff and some stuff that you wouldn't necessarily think of right away. But it, it's just going to, it's going to be really exciting to see where this goes. Daniel Lubiner, President and Executive Director of the Touchpad Pro Foundation, bringing to a close that interview about the Braille Doodle. Also joining us was Matthew Bullis, their Chief Experience Officer. And you can find out more about the Braille Doodle and the Touchpad Pro Foundation on their website, which is touchpadprofoundation, all one word, dot org. Obviously, that interview was recorded just before the summer for various reasons. We weren't able to get it out in time for the Kickstarter project, which has now finished. And they raised over the amount that they wanted, which means that the product is well funded and production of the Braille Doodle is well underway. We will, of course, continue to keep an eye on developments at the Touchpad Pro Foundation. And you'll be able to find out more about the Braille Doodle when it's released and where it will be available from in the Braillists Foundation. Foundation newsletter. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Brailcast, the official podcast of the Brailists Foundation. You can find more Braille related content by subscribing to Brailcast, all one word, in your podcast client of choice, or listening to Brailcast, connecting the dots for Brailists everywhere on your smart speaker. You can also find past episodes on our website at brailcast.com. If you have comments on the podcast or suggestions of topics or guests for future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Please email help at braylists.org. You can also find the Braylists on Twitter at Braylists or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Foundation. Finally, if you like what you've heard, spread the word. New listeners are always welcome. So if you know other people who are interested in Braille, please tell them where to find us. In the meantime, on behalf of everyone at the Braillists, thanks for listening and bye for now. The costs of producing this episode were defrayed by a grant from the Activate Fund of the Winston Churchill Memorial Trust. For more information, visit wcmt.org.uk.